There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 9th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the Minister for Finance announced Budget 2020. This morning, Pascal Donoghue was asked by the BBC if it should be called the Boris Budget. This is a budget that has been developed in the shadow of Brexit. In the shadow of Brexit and never far from the mind of the Minister when he delivered his budget speech was Brexit. In preparing for No Deal, we can ensure that the government has the necessary resources at its disposal to meet the impact of Brexit, while keeping our public finances on the credible path that they have been on since 2011. Perhaps so, but what soon became clear was that there would be very little difference in terms of the changes made for most people and, as a result, of Brexit. Brexit is the most pressing and immediate risk to our economy. Brexit, 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 Brexit. The minister mentioned Brexit once, he mentioned it twice, he mentioned it three times, he mentioned it more. And he explained why Brexit was impacting on the lives of people in this country. For whom Brexit is something they did not choose and had no hand, act or part in. We'll hear, we'll more, hear from more from Pascal, Pascal Donahue later in the programme uh, today. But let's start uh, with uh, the Minister for Employment Affairs and Social Protection, Regina Doherty. Good morning to you, Minister, and thanks uh, for morning, joining us the programme. Minister Donahue took to his feet at about one o'clock yesterday. Before he sat down, just over an hour later, he'd mentioned Brexit 47 times in his budget speech. That's almost once a minute. Is it the Boris budget? Well, I suppose it's a budget that's going to try and protect um, every citizen on the island from the worst effects of a no-deal Brexit. Um, So given that Boris is leading the charge um, of uh, the Brexit campaign in the UK, maybe you could say that. Um, I didn't realise he'd actually said it 47 times, but it really puts it in context, doesn't it, that we're doing everything we are doing right now um, because we had to prepare in the event of the ill effects of something that we really probably have very little control over, which is very frustrating. But Should we have more control over it? I wish we did. Um, I wish the deal that had been spent painstakingly two and a half years in negotiation that was agreed 
by the 28 member states had of passed Westminster. But look, we are where we are, Michael. I don't think if anybody sat down to write the maddest mm. political book that you would have written it as well as it's played out over the last couple of months, or not as well as, maybe as mad as it's played out, but it is what it is, and we have to try, um, and we've a number of weeks left, depending on the decision that's made next Friday as to whether there's an extension. But like, I really believe that they want a deal. I know in our heart that we want a deal. So, you know, the old saying of where there's a will, there's a way. If we really, really, really want to do what we said we would do, which is not have a hard border on the island of Ireland, protect the economy north and south, and look after the Good Friday Agreement, the international... Like, if we really want to do that, well, then we will find a way. And if we don't find a way between now and next Friday... We have to find a way between now and whatever the extension ends. Or, you know, if there even is a no deal, God forbid, the day after there's a no deal and they leave, we have to start finding a way to do what we haven't been able to do for the last three years. And so this isn't going away. It's not some magic panacea that Boris gets his way if he manages to leave on the 31st of October. We still need a trading relationship between the European Union and the United Kingdom, and that has to happen around a table by negotiation. So. But what about Northern Ireland? Should Northern Ireland remain in the Customs Union and in full alignment uh, forever? And do you agree with Angela Merkel that the Irish government should have a veto on Northern Ireland leaving? I don't think anybody should have a veto. Um, and I think that's probably where the democracy consent mechanism is under discussion um, from the proposal that the United Kingdom put to us la- for the European Union last week. It offers one member or one party in Northern Ireland um, a, a veto, and I don't think that's fair, no more than it would be fair for the Republic of Ireland to have a veto on the say of what happens in Northern Ireland. But what I do intrinsically know is that we took an oath when we signed up to the Good Friday Agreement, an international truce, that we would protect the cooperation that now we take for granted um, between the North and the South, that we would mm. protect the all-island economy. That's not happening with what's on the table. And so we've still a long way to go between what's on offer, um, insofar as what the United Kingdom think is a concession on their part. They still have a long way to go to live up to what we agreed in the Good Friday Agreement and what we agreed in the uh, withdrawal agreement a couple of years ago. So, mm. do you believe? Do you, do you believe that uh, Chancellor Merkel uh, said to Boris Johnson that Ireland should be given a, a veto on Northern Ireland leaving? And if so, was she right to have suggested that to him? I didn't. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't hear that she did, so I think it, I, I would be surprised if she did, to be honest with you, given that she's such a consummate professional. Um, I had heard that yesterday she had said, look, without Northern Ireland staying in the customs union, it's very hard to see how we can agree something between now and next Friday. And I think that's just plain speaking. You know, there's an awful lot of not so much plain speaking going on. And there's a lot of stuff that's been said for your audience, for the English audience, for the Scottish audience. for the You know, mm. I mean, it's, we're nearly kind of playing political games now. And this is... This is too serious. For is, it a, is it a stupid blame game that Boris Johnson is playing, as Donald Tusk suggested yesterday? But you know what? Does it matter who's to blame next Friday if we do something collectively that's a disaster for the economy of the United Kingdom and Ireland? We're all to blame. And so that's why we need to continue working for, uh, till the very last moment to try and see that we can materialise what we'd all set out to do. Well, I'm not sure we are all to blame if somebody is trying to make a a fool out of us uh, uh, for political gain in order to win a general election. Okay, that's a fair point. But I suppose you need to rise above the politics of this, as in the party politics of it, because the big P is far more important um, than the little P. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think you've seen in Ireland, and I think people are probably quite surprised by it, but you've seen grown-up, mature um, 
behaviour in the last mm. number of years by all of the parties here. Like it hasn't been business as usual where we normally, you know, pick holes in each other's policies or just for the sake of showing our differences. We have been very united because we all want the same thing. We want the economy of Ireland to continue thriving because it is at the moment. And we don't want a hiccup to, you know, undo all of the good work and the sacrifices that people have made over the last 10 years through absolutely no fault of their own, through something that they probably don't really understand or want to understand. And Everything what, was what along dandy. What, what do you expect uh, the Taoiseach uh, to say to Mr Johnson when he meets him tomorrow, Minister? I think, um, as he did last night, that what we agreed was that we would do everything that we can to protect the all-Ireland economy, that we would live up to our agreements in the Good Friday Agreement, mm. and that we'd have no hard border. And, like, that's not... They're okay, not so, ambitions. So, Boris Johnson so, said so, on so Leo, But Leo Radker will say, no customs checks. Boris Johnson will say, there has to be customs checks. Uh, and they'll go back and forth. Will they find a middle ground? And if so, how can it be found when they are so far apart? Yeah, I, I hope so, right? And I don't say that tritely. Because over the last number of weeks, we have categorically been told that the UK will not introduce customs checks in Ireland. They will not introduce infrastructure to um, to bring in customs checks in Ireland. The following day, they said they'd pay for our infrastructure to soften our cough. Like, there is no consistency, depending on who you're listening to. But that's because there's no consistency, consistency in who they're talking to. So they're talking to a home audience. They're talking to the European uh, negotiating team. They're talking to us to try and put pressure on us. They're trying to get allies. That, like, there's... This is a very complicated game of chess mm. for the United Kingdom. For us and the rest of the European Union, it's very simple. They decided they wanted to go. We respect that. But you have to respect and live up to the you know, conditions of that leaving and that citizens' rights, that's protecting the economy of our island, and in particular the peace and the cooperation that we've enjoyed for 20-plus years. They have to live up to those things. And that doesn't go away if they manage to leave or if Boris manages to pull some sort of a coup of not living up to the spirit of the legislation of Hillary Benn. You know, all mm. of that is pedantic. Because at the end of the day, we have 60 plus million citizens, four and a half, five million citizens on our island mm. that need people to be states-like and reckon, you know, recognise that this is... This is our home. This is our economy. This is our community. This is where we live. And we'll be less well off next year. I mean, almost to a man, it would seem, as a result of yesterday's budget, which was overshadowed, as the minister said, by Brexit. Yeah, well, to stand still, um, as you've seen yesterday um, in all of our departments, just because of demographics and growth, um, because we're a, a, a growing economy and a growing society, costs an awful lot of money. And then when you only have a very small amount of money left, because you can't raise anything else, it doesn't go very far. And I totally appreciate that. And I think you can see in my own budget, um, this year we'll have a, a 21 billion euro budget. So when you get an extra 170 million to spread across that 21 billion worth of people, it doesn't really go very far. And that's why I know genuinely I disappointed um, some of our um, citizens yesterday, but I had to try and protect some of the people who were most at risk um, and so, in effect, yes, the charge is probably true that because of some people didn't get any increase yesterday, obviously because the cost of living will increase by about 1% next year, that's probably taken a step backwards. But on the other hand, we have people who are living alone whose cost of living is much higher than two people living together. We have people with children who need that extra hand through the Child Plus payment. So I tried to be as thoughtful as I could be, recognising that I know I certainly didn't reach the vast majority of people that we would normally reach every year. So, 
including pensioners, obviously. Uh, oh, absolutely, who, who, yeah. who have no opportunity uh, to increase uh, their income. Well, now, so the only thing I was able to do this year was to guarantee the Christmas bonus at 100% again, and that's mm. worth some $300 million. Um, now, I know you can probably say that people expected that, but I suppose it's not in our budget every year. It is a supplementary estimate that has to be applied for at the end of every year. Um, I like I take the charge, Michael. I would have loved to be in the position. It's in my programme for government. We committed that for the five years of this government, and I know nobody ever thought we'd last for five years, but mm. for the five years of this government, we committed to raising the pension by five euros a year every year. I've been championing for the last year against some opposition, I have to say, mm. that I would love to index the pension um, against an average minimum wage of 34%. So the pensioners don't have to have this wait and see for every budget. They know exactly how much their pension will increase by every year. They have that security of knowing that it's not a political football between, you know, Willie O'Dea or whoever else wants to have a go about, what, you know, what about the up po- pensioners what, what, in August. What, what about the political football in government about uh, the medical cards uh, for over 70s? Whose idea was it uh, to extend that benefit? I think um, it was a combination. But you know what, again, I think it's fascinating. Um, and I said this yesterday. We're all in government. We're all around the mm. same table, which makes us a team. But John Halligan mm-hmm. is uh, talking about leaving uh, the Independent uh, Alliance because Finian McGrath took credit for it. Shane Ross and Kevin Boxer-Morin are, are said to be upset uh, as well. And Kevin Boxer-Morin uh, is said to have had a, a bit of a, a showdown with Pascal Dunahoo before the budget was announced. Well, the only thing I can say to you is, is that the old saying of that success has many mothers and failure has none. Um, there are a few small things in this budget that are thoughtful. And I think you can see clearly that there's lots of people trying to take credit for it. There's an awful lot that's not in this budget. And the people like me and Simon Harris have to take the responsibility for that. So, you know, I'm quite happy to let people who want to take credit for stuff, let them take the credit. I'm more interested in making sure that I have a sustainable budget, that whatever we did give away this year, I won't be taken back halfway through next year because we mismanaged or didn't plan properly. So it's a very, very... And I hate the word prudent, mm. right? But it is, it's a very prudent budget. I don't think we ever want to find ourselves in a situation where, God forbid, as we did 10 years ago, we gave a whole lot of money out in you know, December only to take it back off people in March. Is it that not definitely a, won't happen Is it year, not a regressive budget? Um, I think the switch model that comes out this morning shows that it's not. Um, and that's only because there's no tax increases or decreases this year. Um, but well, again, there, I there, think... There's a carbon tax. Well, the carbon tax has been offset um, against some of the most vulnerable people in the country. And actually, what I did yesterday some of uh, was to ensure that the people who are living on the lowest incomes mm. in the country, that some 20% of our population, are actually better off yesterday, having had the carbon tax taken out of one pocket, but the increase of their fuel allowance, which is more than what's been taken out of one pocket, put back into the other pocket. So some 400,000 people are actually better off yesterday because of the moves we made in fuel allowance. Mm. And that's just to ensure that the people in rural and urban Ireland who are living on the only income that they have is from the state were protected from the ill effects um, of what has to be done over the next 20 years to save mm. um, our country, so, our so, agricultural so, way of life. So, so, some of the most vulnerable, plenty of vulnerable people uh, will be paying this as a, a tax and nothing less than a tax. Um, I think the 90 million euros is going to be raised this year and thereafter as that increases Mm. is going to be spent directly trying to reduce people's overheads and so I don't know what other way you can do it. I know there was talk last year. Well, there's plenty of other suggestions, uh, as you know, Minister, of how you you, you could improve people's behaviour and introduce a a carbon tax alongside other measures. Uh, But what is that 90 million going to be spent on? 
So I think um, the first part of it that's been spent on is, is the fuel tax increase or the fuel allowance increase, the energy increase. The second part of it is being rent fenced um, for uh, board Namona workers to transition them into new jobs training and, uh, through new technology. Excuse me. Mm. Um, and then the final remainder of it is to start a retrofitting programme um, throughout Ireland and particularly in our social housing stock uh, that might be the worst off affected alongside uh, extending the grants that are available from SSEIA for everybody else to be able to upgrade their homes. But again, Michael, 90 million doesn't really go very far. No. And no. so it has to be 90 and 100 million the following year no. and the following year and grow year on year. No. We have... Um, some 590,000 homes that we have to retrofit over the next number of years. We have a whole new technology and industry that needs to be trained for uh, and financed to grow and develop because it's not something that's probably very mainstream today. There's a transition that has to happen, but you know, I know some people are not going to be happy about the carbon but, tax. Yeah. We've had a carbon tax for more than 10 years. Um, it's being ring-fenced now to make sure that it offsets and help goes about changing behavioural patterns the way we heat our homes and the way we secure our homes and stuff like that. So it's only the first step on what will be a long plan um, to try and make sure that we play our part in the international campaign to save the planet. Okay, Minister, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's the Minister for Employment, Affairs and Social Protection, Fine Gael TD, for me, the East, Regina Dard. Now, Michael Brennan, political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post, uh, joins us uh, to give us his analysis of yesterday's budget, which probably won't take uh, very long, Michael. Yeah, it wasn't the most uh, thrilling budget, Michael, we've had, but then I, I started covering budgets in 2007, which was a big giveaway budget, and then the next year we had two budgets because we're coming into the crisis, and we had a very grim series of budgets. So I, I think, personally, um, you know, a budget where you're not seeing the big cuts and huge changes is, is, is welcome to some of those uh, the minister, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, mentioned Brexit 47 times in his speech. And as he said himself, uh, the announcements uh, for next year were completely overshadowed by Brexit. Uh, and uh, the negotiations are at a, a very uh, dodgy stage uh, now, following uh, what Angela Merkel is reported to have said to, to Boris Johnson, what Donald Tusk said, uh, and indeed the reaction from uh, the British government. Yeah, um, Finance Minister Pascal Dunham's line consistent all yesterday in the Dáil and through interviews was, I- I'm glad I made the choice I did to base this budget on, on no deal. And that if he had made a choice to go for big tax cuts and, and more than the three unwise after that. So it's, it is a very uncertain time. But there are people, I talked to IBEC yesterday, group wants them to store and employ more public servants me is growing very fast and that he's undercut us. So, so there's are different... Michael, uh, I think you're on a, a mobile there and uh, you're dropping out. Uh, we'll try to improve on that line and come back to you in a, a short while. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, the line is breaking up on us terribly. Uh, we'll hear some other reaction from the doll yesterday to Budget 2020 now. It is a time for big ideas. It's a time for bold policies, for solutions for solutions for the ordinary people. A time to reset in our economy how it works and who it works for. And that's the issue and the problem with this government. Rather than seeing incomes rise, too many have seen costs soar and their pay packets squeezed. Child and adolescent mental health services having barely half the required number of staff. I attended 
two very unfortunate funerals recently in my own constituency. I met with parents and friends and relatives of the deceased, young men of course. It was very disheartening to hear that services they sought were not what they expected. And to hear now of such an underspend in such a vital area leaves us in a very despondent place. I think that there will be a lot of sadness, frustration and disappointment in hundreds of thousands of Irish homes tonight as older people, people in retirement on retirement pensions from social protection, as people who are carers, as people who, are disabi- who, who have a disability and who rely on a social protection income. When they look down the list of what's in this budget for them, absolutely nothing. For seven successive months now, there have been month-on-month increases. Well, for seven successive months now, the uh, homeless figures in this country, the official homeless figures, have remained above the 10,000 mark. Remained above the 10,000 mark for seven months in a row. Are you disputing that as a fact? It's a fact. The figures are what? They're not off the wall. You, 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 you check the rebuilding Ireland figures. Check the rebuilding Ireland figures and you'll see it. And here's another figure for you, Minister. 10,000 10, people officially homeless in the state, and that has remained the case for seven consecutive months under this, uh, under this uh, uh, government. He got nothing out of this budget. That's the reality. Uh, and uh, that's against a background where the productivity of workers in this country has gone through the roof in recent years. Workers are working harder and longer, effectively for less. Should receive no increase in her income. Instead, she'll be hit by the carbon tax. She can't qualify for retrofitting because she rents. In fact, if her landlord retrofits, he may then try to renovict her as a consequence. She'll be hit by the nitrogen oxide tax when she buys a cheap old car, the only type of car that she can afford. When her rent goes up, she will have no assistance to deal with it because in the entire budget, the government allocated €2 million for renters in the form of funding for the RTB, which is completely incapable of managing and policing the completely inadequate rent pressure zones. Does he think that we can just ignore the expected rise in delivery of national broadband plan? Even the Taoiseach has said recently that he welcomes the possibility of an inquiry by the Eroxus Communication Committee into the national broadband plan. Is he for real? I want to start off with tourism and I want to address the soft talk that the Minister gave today to the tourism industry and the people who worked so hard in it. I come from County Kerry. We have the capital tourism of the world in Killarney and the rest of the county. They have been hit more than anybody else by the increase from 9% to 13.5%. And was anything done to address that last count caller? Not one thing in the world. Some of uh, the criticism expressed by opposition TDs, Piers Doherty, Barry Cowan, Joan Burton, Mick Barry, Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul Murphy, Matty McGrath and Michael Healy-Ray in the Dáil yesterday.
Now, moving away from the budget just for a moment, uh, because a serious incident is underway. And if you're in RD or Arthurstown or the general area, you're being advised to, to be careful. Gardaí are carrying out an operation this morning following reports of shots being fired in the Arthurstown area of RD. And they're seeking your assistance if you can help them find a car. It's 11WW registered silver Toyota advances and they would advise you not to approach this vehicle and to report any sightings uh, of the car to the Gardaí immediately on the emergency lines 999 or 112. You can contact Drogheda Garda station or the confidential line 1800-666-111 That's shots have been fired in the Arthurstown area of RD. Gardaí are investigating it and they're looking for an 11WW registered silver Toyota Avensis. It's uh, not too long since uh, we last heard of shots being fired in uh, the uh, Drogheda area as a part of uh, the ongoing feud which extends out uh, to RD, Clara Head, Termin Fecken and so on. Uh, it is some time since uh, we've seen the Armed Response Unit or in the numbers that they once were and uh, there is concern that the Armed Response Unit has been redeployed to Cabinet. We'll be hearing more about that uh, I'm sure later in the day. But let's return to the the budget now and Paddy Malone, the PRO with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce uh, joins us. A very good morning to you Paddy and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, the Chamber hosted uh, a Brexit budget breakfast this morning. Uh, tell us uh, what people have been saying to you. That's a tongue twister isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Actually I'm just away, just back from it. I thought I'd be here a lot earlier so I, I arrived panting into my office worried that I might have been holding you up. Um Look, I think it was very much what we expected. Uh, I don't think there was any surprises in it. Uh, the government were £1.2 billion pound has been made available to the various state agencies and other organisations in various guises and formats. Um, it to be drawn down £200 million immediately to the various organisations and then the rest as required. If required. So, if required. Yes. Uh, and I think we have to work on the basis that it's, it's, something's going to be required. Look, we have to face the reality that it looks like Britain is going to leave in some shape or form. Um, Companies have got to get ready for it. I think the thing that's coming through from my practice and from talking to others that are involved in the whole Brexit situation, our main concern at this stage is the customs point. It's the tariffs. Um, I've looked at a number of businesses now for, for clients and... You know, we're, we're now looking at tariffs, anything mm. from 2 3% to 7 or 8%. Now, they're not in the agricultural food area. They're in general business. If you get into the agricultural side of things, you're at 50, 60. You're at ridiculous rates. You're at rates that are just so prohibitive. There's no chance of doing cross-border trade. And what about this fund uh, that the Minister I- intends to make available to agriculture, enterprise and tourism? $650 million if needed. Is, is that a, enough to mitigate? Uh, the impact of a, a no-deal Brexit? I don't know, and I don't think the Minister knows, and at least he was honest enough to say that if it's not enough, he'll go out and get some more money, uh, and that's what you want to hear, and that there will be a degree of flexibility. I would agree with those spokesmen, I, I was listening to Michael McGrath last night for Fianna Fáil saying, you know, Minister, we're three weeks out, we really need the detail now, not no, not, not not the week after the the conference next week. We need the detail now. And I think he's right. Uh, I think we need to know what's going on. 
uh, in a more detailed situation so that people like myself who are advising clients can actually give more practical advice. The Leo office in Dundalk, for, which is the Leo, the Loud Economic Office for the whole of County Loud, is doing a great job. But is it going to be enough? I don't know. I mean, one of the things the government are saying is, well, look, a lot of the money that was made available last year wasn't drawn down. I can tell you the only reason it wasn't drawn down was because people do not want to borrow until they absolutely have to. So there's been this procrastination on borrowing until the last possible moment. Because... You know, those of us of a certain age and older can remember the last time money was thrown at a problem. It didn't solve anything. And we just ended up with a saddle with a lot of debt for, for 10 years. So people are very cautious about taking up mm. the debt. So, you know, it's great that the minister has said there's more on the pot because I think more, if it falls the wrong way and if this thing ends up in the mess that it looks like it's heading towards, we probably will need more. Uh, and at least there was recognition of the border counties, of tourism in the border counties, and of the agriculture. So it, at least they, they've identified the areas correctly, uh, from what I can see. But, you know, it's a leap into the unknown, and we really don't know. After three years of uncertainty, we really don't know. It's never been more uncertain, no. uh, and uh, there's uh, an awful lot going on. The Scottish court is today uh, to be asked if it can force Boris Johnson to seek an extension, or if it can seek the extension on behalf of uh, the British government. Uh, the British Prime Minister is uh, to meet the Taoiseach after a, a phone call yesterday. Angela Merkel uh, is, according to sources in 10 Downing Street, uh, said that Ireland should have a, a veto over Northern Ireland's role in Europe or, or not. And Donald Tusk seems to be rightly fed up with the British Prime Minister. Yeah, well, I think we're back to the situation where the British have always treated Ireland as an afterthought in everything over the last thousand years. And for once, they've been held to account. And for once, they're not being allowed to do it. And I remember when Enda Kenny stood up in the door and, and, and made a speech three years ago saying, these would be our red lines. Most of us, myself included, mm. looked and said, yeah, but when push comes to shove, Mercedes will have an awful lot more clout with Angela Merkel than poor little Ireland. We've been wrong. The EU has shown itself to be uh, a good friend. Unlike it did in the, let's not, let's not forget, they weren't always the good boys. I mean, they, dis, they, I was going to say, they, they made life very difficult for us in 2006, 2007. They bullied Michael Noonan into paying off all that bank debt that should never have been paid back. Uh, they saddled us with a lot, but they're doing the job right for us now, so let's hope that it continues that way. But, you know, we want good relationships with Britain. We do not want a row. Well, it's very difficult to come, come to terms with a spoiled child that doesn't know what, what they want. And as a parent, I can remember trying to deal with a four-year-old, and they want that, and they want that, and they didn't know what they wanted. And I think the teacher must feel very much that he's dealing with a four-year-old in Boris Johnson. Right, uh, and apart from the fear that there is about Brexit and what steps the government might take uh, to mitigate the impact of that, uh, what has uh, the reaction of people locally been think, to the I budget think, yesterday? I think one of the things that I would have picked out would have been um, and this is something that Chambers Ireland and ourselves made in our budget submission the 2040 plan developed uh, was significantly changed over the last couple of years, mainly due to Dundalk Chamber and Louth County Council's submissions. And in that, we both stress the need to include Drawda as a principal town. And it's, a re- it's now recognised as a regional hub. And the M1 corridor and the need to recognise that area is significantly enveloped in it. Given that, we were disappointed to see that um, the definition of the living city 
or the regeneration of cities, that the money wasn't earmarked for those towns. So Drawda and then Dock have lost out in that respect, in that, you know, you still have the original living city cities of Kilkenny, Limerick and Waterford. And as I think I've said to you, the fact that Howland, Noonan mm. and um, Hogan would come to mind when I named the three of them, and there were three ministers at the time. I think the government needs to go back and look and say, We've already identified where the, where the growth's going to be in 2040. We've identified the Drawda and the Dock are two of the hubs. We're, we're, we're incredibly lucky in that we're the only county in Ireland that has two regional hubs. It's incredible. Uh, but we need to make sure that our TDs and local authorities and everybody else has given the support to get the, that recognition into practicalities, including the Living City Initiative. So that would be one area that I would be critical of the government. Um, it's something that I would have liked to have seen. It didn't happen. Um, there, th- that would be one area yeah. specifically. I think there's uh, more scope for um, better generation in relation to what I still call BES schemes, but EIIS schemes, the entrepreneur schemes to encourage business. It was good to see the um, extra funding being, being available through business for uh, commercial uh, work in the DKIT and in other third-level institutions. But there wasn't enough of it. So I think, you know, if, the, if I have a criticism of the minister, everything was totally predictable. There was no significant new breakthrough on anything. Is it predictable um, that your members are going to face uh, a flurry of pay claims uh, because people are going to have less disposable yeah. income as a result of inflation, no change in taxation, but an increase in carbon tax? Yeah, and I think everyone is at a, uh, is going to be poorer off. And in fact, one of the last slides we had in our well, unless you pay them more, I yeah. mean that's the point. One of the, yeah. one of the slides we had in the presentation was that in 2007, 30 percent of the of the government's checkout came from personal taxation. It's now at 39 percent. Now, I must admit that came as a total shock to me. I had assumed that the extra was mostly coming from corporations, and we can always get into the whole argument about whether those 10 corporations are really making the money here or not. Uh, that's a different story, although it was addressed in the budget. Um, but it's still, it is a fact that personal taxation is meeting a bigger and bigger part of the budget. And with no shift at all in any of the credits, only the, there were two minor adjustments, and that's what I would describe as maximum. One was worth 150 a year, three quid a week, mm. and the other was worth 100 quid a week, 100 quid a year, two quid a week. So there was nothing in it. There was very little in it for pensioners. There was very little in it for anybody else. So people's standard of living is going to fall as a result of this budget. There's no point in putting it any other way. So you're right. There will be, there will be pressure. Uh, and at a time when we're competing with Northern Ireland, at a time when retail units and the hospitality sector is competing with Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and cheaper prices in the north, um, it's not something that we would want to see. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks as always. Paddy Malone, Piero with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Now, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie is here with some of uh, the calls and comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Have uh, people had much to say about the budget or what have they been speaking to you about, Maggie? Well, yeah, strangely enough, they have been talking to us about the budget and the key issue that seems to be annoying most people this morning is the treatment of older people and the lack of... um, Increasing yeah. in the pension, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been right. in contact okay. with that and they're very mm-hmm. angry. Um, Anne was just in touch, actually, to say she can't believe the government didn't increase the pension in the budget. Talk about a slap in the face to older people, the very people who built up the country and helped it recover from previous recessions. She says it's all right for TDs and senators sitting in the doll and their huge salaries. They've no idea what it's like for some elderly people who are at home struggling, trying to make ends meet and having to choose between eating or turning on their heat. Government should be ashamed of themselves, she's saying. Mm. Well, the Minister with responsibility 
responsibility, Regina Doherty uh, said uh, that she was disappointed that she wasn't able to give an increase this year. Yeah, well, uh, that's mm. fair enough, but I don't mm. think it's really going to cut much slack with a lot of the people I've been talking to really, this morning. And yeah, yeah. um, one mm. comment in particular was very strong. Tommy was saying he was disgusted with government for not increasing the pension. Instead, they've plied money into Brexit and the environment. It's almost like they don't think um, they have to care about older people anymore because older people only have a few years left to vote. So government are focusing on winning the votes of the younger generation. Okay, well, I'm not sure that any government uh, that uh, knows what politics uh, is about would take uh, that uh, approach. Hold that thought for a moment because Michael Brennan has come back on the line with us. Michael is uh, the political editor with the Sunday Business Post. Uh, thanks uh, for your patience uh, and uh, apologies for the problems uh, to you and our listeners that we had earlier on. Uh, Michael, the feedback we're getting from people uh, at this stage is one of great disappointment that there wasn't any cre- increase in uh, the budget yesterday for pensioners, but this was uh, expected. Are you surprised that people are disappointed? No, I'm not surprised, Michael, because it, it is human nature. And, and people who are on pensions are on fixed income and are worried about, you know, their future health and uh, costs and so on. So it's, it's completely understandable. But one thing I would say is the pension bill next year has gone up by about a quarter of a billion anyway, because people are thankfully living longer and healthier lives. So there's more pensioners. So even without increasing the rate by five euro, the bill's gone up by a quarter of a billion. And... There's controversy, obviously, over the carbon tax as to whether it is an effort by government uh, to have a a positive impact on climate change or whether it's a a cash grab. Uh, What uh, are are people saying generally, do you think? Well, it's a tricky one for the government because uh, almost all parties supported a a carbon tax increase in the, the Commission on Climate Action recently, but they now disagree about how to do it the Green Party are saying you should have done a refund system where you effectively send a cheque in the post to people uh, for all the carbon tax increase they pay. To be honest, that's very difficult to see how you would actually do that. Um, but the, the, mm. our own Climate Advisory Expert Council has recommended you need to increase the carbon tax to start sending a message to people. The difficulty is, I suppose, you can't get a cheap electric car at the moment. There isn't public transport in rural areas in a good way. Those problems are there, but but that is the expert advice. You have to start moving in this direction. Right, and that fee and dividend system, uh, as it's known, uh, where you pay your carbon tax and everybody gets uh, a refund of sorts, uh, is a model that has been tried elsewhere, isn't it? I I have to say, Michael, all all I'm aware of is that the Department of Finance looked at it and thought, could we come up with a system where somehow you would track how much extra you had paid at the petrol pump and and get the money back. And they just found it would be very difficult. Or do you just give everybody a flat refund in the country, Mm. whether they're a driver or not? Our our system, you know, works. Our system works well where it's on simple basis, and and that just seems to be very, very difficult to do. Okay, uh, complicated as it is, uh, I think uh, it has gained some traction after being introduced in Canada and Switzerland. Not the case here. So the question is, how will it have a a positive impact on climate change? And the government is saying it'll ring fences uh, for uh, certain areas uh, which will result in a a positive outcome, uh, whether that's retrofitting houses or, or whatever. Uh, that'll be watched very closely, I take it. Yeah, that that is the major, the, the, the two major landmines in the landmines in this budget is one carbon tax increase and two the lack of those social welfare increases and tax cuts because people.
people have been used to that in recent budgets and, and, and there isn't anything there. This, this is not a move-the-dial budget, I think, where you know people will suddenly be, be uh, showering the government with praise and supporting it more. I, I think you know people either feel neutral or, or be disappointed, as obviously mm. that's some of the feedback you're getting. Is it this government's last budget, do you think? It certainly is, Michael. Uh, Pascal Dunne, who has described it as his last budget, Fianna Fáil's finance spokesman, Michael McGrath, who's needed whose party is needed to support the budget or abstain, has said it's the last budget. So uh, I, I would describe it as not just a shadow of Brexit over this budget, but a, a shadow of a general election as well. And that general election obviously will have to take place between now and next October if this is to be the last budget. So when might that be? The Taoiseach had suggested that May may be the right time. That's right. Um, and you, you had Fine Gael ministers yesterday making optimistic noises about how, yes, they could be looking into a summer election around that May time. It, it is very uncertain, but I have to say I detect no great appetite in Leinster House for any kind of going out, knocking on doors in the next month or a couple of months. And that, you know, the most likely time is that sort of from March, April, May onwards, I think, just because mm. the government, I don't think, will want an election with this non-giveaway budget, I think they'll want to, to wait a little while and hope that uh, that there's some certainty on Brexit. And we were talking earlier about Brexit. If the UK is given an extension of three, maybe six months, and the politicians in the United Kingdom are out knocking on doors, what effect might that have on uh, the timing of an election here? It's entirely possible that that it it accelerates that timing. Um, We have those four by-elections from the European elections happening at the uh, November 29th at the end of that month. So, you know, maybe there would be a theory that, well, why don't we just have a general election? But I I, I think the feeling is just on on Brexit. Wait and see at the moment. And, you know, we hope there's going to be a long extension maybe till next summer. But it's just it's just very uncertain given the fire and fury between London and Brussels at the moment. Okay, Michael, many thanks uh, for joining us and apologies once again uh, for the problems we had with uh, the telephone earlier on. Michael Brennan, political editor with the Sunday Business Post. Now let's go back to our phone lines and what you've been saying when you've been on the phone and speaking with Maggie. Maggie, you have more calls there. Just going back to an earlier point that you made yourself, um, Michael, about the importance of of the grey vote as such. Theresa was in in contact on the very subject saying that um, old age pensioners got the cold shoulder this year. They didn't get very much at all in the budget. It, the government seem to have forgotten it's the older people who actually go out and vote and that the grey vote is hugely powerful so they may live to regret ignoring older people this okay, time well, around. There is an increase in the living alone allowance, there's an increase in uh, the fuel allowance and uh, the medical card is being extended to more people, the threshold has increased for people over the age of 70. Well yeah there is that mm. but I mean Sarah was in contact as well on the same yep. subject and she was saying that the elderly have been targeted at every budget the government seemed to be intent on screwing them over at every available opportunity, the there was no increase in the pension, but yet there was increases in heating fuel, carbon taxes and increases increases in many day-to-day items that old people need to get by. And she says that the government seemed to have no idea how financially pressed some older people are and from the looks of it, they don't really care either. OK, very and strong feelings there. Absolutely. And um, Tony was in contact in relation to the interview with Regina Doherty. She, um, he says if uh, Minister Doherty is so concerned about the state coffers, then why doesn't she and her colleagues take a pay cut and put the money towards the country's nest egg? OK, I don't think they can, can they? Because they're linked to, to the pay of civil servants. At least that uh, seems uh, to be the response. 
So when that uh, suggestion is made uh, to government ministers. And um, Betty and Malahide on the same subject says she hopes government don't decide to reward themselves for all their hard work in inverted commas on the budget with a nice fat pay increase. She says if they do, then people need to take to the streets. Okay. And um, Mary says that it's great news for parents that the free GP scheme is being extended to under eights um, and that there'll be free dental care for under six. But she is concerned that the move is going to cause issues as well for all services around the country because it's already nearly impossible to get a doctor's appointment as it is. So this will only worsen when the scheme is extended nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny was in contact on the budget as well, saying that um, he believes that middle earners are always forgotten by government. He asked why should he bother voting at all. He earns just a little bit over the tax bracket and has to pay huge taxes. He says it's hugely frustrating for him and others in the same position. OK, well, little in uh, the way of income tax changes announced yesterday. Um, Tom was in touch to say yet again, there's nothing for the working person, the taxpayer who keeps the country afloat. Budget 2020 is just another disappointment from this government. Mm. Um, Sarah says all the talk from this budget is about climate change, social welfare, fuel hikes and Brexit. Won't somebody think of the homeless and how government failed to make any real inroads into that crisis in their budget announcements yesterday? Okay, well, very little in in, uh, terms of tackling that crisis. Uh, We'll hear more from Peter McVerry later in the programme. Absolutely. And just to finish up with a comment um, that you referred Mm. to yourself actually earlier on, Eugene says that a carbon tax at the petrol pump when when we already pay road tax based on emissions is just um, a cash grab by government. Okay. Interesting thoughts and strong feelings and thanks to everybody who took the time to share them with us. Thanks Maggie for that matter. We'll have uh, more calls and comments uh, throughout uh, the programme. Now the Boris budget or the Brexit budget or the non-event that was announced yesterday is uh, certainly feeding into the negotiations uh, that are are taking place between the government and uh, its European partners and those negotiations uh, that are being held with the United Kingdom. Let's uh, talk about where we are this morning with Fianna Fáil TD, Thomas Byrne and Independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick. It, it certainly was uh, a Brexit budget. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the Minister has said Brexit 47 times in a speech uh, that lasted uh, an hour. Uh, did he take the right approach, do you think, Thomas Byrne? Well, I think overall in, in the context of Brexit, I think the prudent approach or the cautious approach is absolutely correct because the damage to this country is, I mean, like people say, oh, stop talking about Brexit. This is annoying me. I've, I've got that from people. Like, mm. just don't, don't keep going on about it. But I think the reality is, um, and Michal Martin identified this last December, you're looking at about 60 odd thousand job losses, possibly in a no deal Brexit. You're looking at mm. six billion wiped off the economy. This is a, a clear and present danger to the country. And it's the reason that Michal Martin last December said, uh, we believe that the, the risk of a no-deal Brexit is really, really serious. Mm. People dismissed that at the time. He was absolutely correct. That risk is there. It may not happen, but there's a real risk of it, an increasing risk of it happen, happening. And that the country needed the stability during that period uh, to make sure that we got through this difficult period. So when we talk about Brexit and stability, what we're talking about is the tens of thousands of people that could lose their jobs. We're talking about the wealth that would be wiped off the, 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 the country in terms of people's savings, in terms of investment, in terms of mm. jobs, of course, uh, being, being the biggest one. Um, that's that's the difficulty. That's the context for it. So but I think for, for for three years, Fianna Fáil has been warning uh, about the fallout from Brexit, and as a result, has supported the government. And once again, you've not just uh, endorsed, but uh, you've uh, in part delivered uh, another budget, which many people are very disappointed with. Well, and 
we're disappointed obviously we didn't get some of our priorities there's no question about that we're happy with some things disappointed with other things but the truth is when Micheál Martin made that announcement last December it was in the national interest we agreed with the government to stay with them for three budgets we did that uh, we considered it and we thought that it was best to let the government be there not have a general election not have chaos in this country in the same way that they appear to be having it in Britain and let's be honest the British economy is tanking now at the moment uh, investment is down there's a risk to employment uh, their interest rates are, are on the way up uh, sterling is down this is causing huge difficulties for them. They, they, they don't see that. Yeah. I think we do see it here. Uh, and that's that's the position that we're in. Uh, we thought it was best not to have an election here because you take months and months and months forming a government as happened before, uh, apart from the time of the campaign. And we're better to leave the government to do their job in terms of Brexit for this year. But it is not just uh, using Brexit as an excuse. It is real people who will lose their jobs uh, if there's a no-deal Brexit and probably already are losing their jobs uh, if there's a no-deal Brexit. OK, Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, as somebody who was a, a member of Fine Gael, what do you think uh, they're saying within Fine Gael when they hear the main opposition party say it's better to leave uh, the government uh, in office to do their job? Michael, whether we like it or not, uh, the Brexit is going to affect everybody, whether you're in the island of Ireland, whether mm. you're a UK citizen or an EU citizen. The, this has been on for the last three years. It's the topic of conversation mm. absolutely everywhere. People who have no interest in politics and that at the moment, it, it really, really mm. is an iron. And the biggest problem at the moment is, Michael, nobody knows what's going on. Mm. We've, there's a meeting well, we all know we're going to be poorer next year uh, as a result of the fears of Brexit. Well, there's a meeting on next week, the 17th of October. The deadline's mm. the 21st of October, and we're no further on. And then the, the Minister came out yesterday and started to scare among people and saying there's going to be between fifty and 60,000 jobs lost. And, and, and on one hand, he's saying uh, that they're going to create 19,000 new jobs. Uh, I'm very, very worried. Well, they're fairly conservative estimates, yeah. I think. Well, coming come from the border area and listen to the chief mm-hmm. constable there last week in Northern Ireland stating that uh, the PSNI are not going to put any, any uh, patrols or along the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good news yesterday that the government came out and are going to spend an extra 81 million in, cre- in, uh, in, in recruiting 700 new Garda. But these 700 new Garda are not going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Like in three weeks' time, what is actually going to happen? Well, it's 100 less than they announced last April, isn't it? Oh, did you? Uh, I mean, uh, they said last April that they'd recruit 800, uh, and yesterday that was reduced to 700. They also, also stated yesterday that there's a 1.2 uh, billion there for, for, for the Brexit, and they're talking about... If uh, needed, yes. Yeah, yeah, they're, but they're also talking mm-hmm. about uh, an extra 750 new staff. Like, these are things we should have done at this stage. We, we seem to be very, very slow getting out getting of the status. And I can't understand mm-hmm. it. Like, coming from the border over over 300 miles and everything else, and like even there last night, I heard in, in, in the news bulletin, there was there was fuel uh, mm-hmm. sluggish uh, found in, 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 in the, the knockback tax boards course area. Like... Like if if we don't seem to be prepared, like as I said, is we we should be ready, up and running. I, I heard Simon Coveney on this morning saying that uh, it shouldn't be a blaming game. The bottom line is it's gone on for three mm. years. It's gone on far, far, far too long. And the, the really and thing what that, about what was said or what wasn't said uh, in, in terms of uh, budgeting for uh, the running of the country next year? There's no increase for the pensioners. People are, are are very upset about that. There's no changes in income tax. People are upset about that. So there is a change in carbon tax. People don't know why they're going to have to pay more for fuel and so on. Michael, it's the uncertainty, Michael. Maybe maybe down the road there could be another budget, maybe February or March or something like that, supplementary budget. We, we don't know. Well, they've but, said no, there won't yeah. be. But so Fine Gael and other, 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 other parties that was in government says these things. But the bottom line is, yes, yes this budget was, sorry, was a preparation for the Brexit and more importantly for Fine Gael, 
they were, they were getting ready for the next general election because uh, the, the budget yesterday mm. was, was was the last budget before the next general election. And if if if, if you look what they actually done there yesterday, like uh, they, they give a lot of stuff away. Uh, uh, like, like for example, there at the moment is uh, which I'm I'm delighted with is like uh, the education is a big is a big thing there at the moment. Though they put 1.9 mm. billion into special to special needs as such. Like we're getting more special mm. needs teachers. Uh, and you welcomed that, that, Thomas Byrne, as your party spokesperson yes. on education. But the Association of Secondary Teachers have said that education is seriously underfunded in this country and that this budget has done nothing to address that funding. Yeah, well, what it has done, and I, I agree with a lot of the criticisms that they've made, what the budget has done is put in extra special needs teachers. And that is obviously something that I've been on this show over the summer. That's something we've we've pushed in terms of special needs education. It's a huge issue at the moment. And it is not fair that literally the most vulnerable kids in the education system, in many cases, are not getting their education. So we put that as a priority this year. and uh, That will be delivered next year. There are some other things there for education, but very, very little. There's no point in me listing them out. They'll be pretty meaningless for, for mm. it's minuscule what's going mm. into schools. And I think that we've seen this a pattern that anything significant that's been got in education, we have pushed for, like the reduced pupil teacher ratio, like the restoration of guidance counselors, etc. There will also be some money as well for school buses as well. Uh, and that's something that we've got. And I've, I've already agreed with Minister McHugh that I'll sit down with him to work out how that is done uh, in terms of implementing it for next September. How do we improve the system, get more kids on school buses that lost their places so so there are some things but look it's in the context of Brexit I mean it's, it's just there's no point in me listing out everything yeah, that's there it's a pretty meaningless budget isn't it um, yeah, well, it's 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 meaningless in terms of what what's available, mm. um, but it's not meaningless in terms of the context that we're in. So, 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 mm. no, I wouldn't say it's meaningless at all. I think it's important that the the country stays stable for the next few months because the the, the it's going to be real people who suffer uh, because of Brexit. And that's no one's fault in this mm. country. Do you believe there'll be a supplementary budget, as Peter uh, suggested? Well, they've, they've said not. I mean, mm. what will happen is, I think, if there is if there is a uh, a deal, then there'll be mm. less borrowing required mm. next year. I think that's the issue. Like we're borrowing more because uh, of the risk of an no deal. Brexit, so it's not like there's going to be extra taxes available. They're all used up anyway, it's just we'd be borrowing less. Um, So let's hope there's not because that's never, never a good sign I mean look what, what, what the if, last time that happened was 2009 which is obviously not a period of time that people particularly What if somehow the United Kingdom stays in Europe? Well that's highly unlikely and I think that, that like, let's be honest Michael that will that will add to uncertainty mm. and instability in the United Kingdom, which is not going to help us. This whole thing doesn't help us. I mean, I'm beginning to believe at this point that the more certainty we have, the, if, the, 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 if we finalise it, the better for us. I'd love them to stay in Europe. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm a great fan, fan uh, of Great Britain. I like mm. it's a great country. We all have relations there. We, we all follow football teams there. We have huge links with them. It is tragic and sad that they're leaving the European Union, but mm. they're doing that at a huge cost to us and themselves. But look, the only way we can minimise this at the moment is making sure that the deal is done, I think. OK. Peter Fitzpatrick, what's you think of the carbon tax? Uh, I, t- I personally think, Michael, the carbon tax was fair. Uh, an awful lot of people uh, are saying that that it's it, it's a rural thing, but it doesn't. No matter mm. what we've done, it's, like if you look at the people in Dublin, they're, they're paying big rents and are paying. Mm. It's very expensive on trains and and the Lewis and Emmy ads. But Michael, let, let's go back there a moment. Is there, like we we took. I would love the UK to stay in the EU. I'd actually love it because since 1998, since the Good Friday Agreement, like this this country has been a fantastic country to live in. Like whether it's exports or imports, we're getting on really, really well. The freedom of people to be able to work on the north and the south in the UK, like the amount of people that goes to the airports and go uh, and the airports and go to the ports on a daily basis, going to the UK or or down in Ireland. Mm. Like the freedom of travel is absolutely fantastic. Like like we we export, we import, and I think over the last number of years we built a great. Do you agree with Angela 
Merkel that Ireland should have a, a veto on whether Northern Ireland leaves or not. No, no, I'm just going to say, Michael, is Do you I, agree with Donald Tusk uh, that Boris Johnson is playing silly games uh, and looking to blame somebody else for it? Michael, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that Leo Varadkar and uh, Yawas Bonson didn't sit down together over the last number of months. Sit down and, and, and try to... Like, Leo saying that he's part of mm. well, the EU and he, he can't really dis- discuss the situation. He was snubbed yeah. by Boris Johnson, yeah. who but eventually met him and he's to meet him again tomorrow. I still maintain communications is the best way. Nobody wants... Like, like you, you look you look at the, the mm. Assembly in Northern Ireland hasn't been sitting there for, for the last uh, three years. The taxpayers in the UK are paying their wages. Like, mm. how, how, how do they feel, like, putting money... Like, all these people not going to work every day. Like, like if you look at the Irish government has done all the donkey work for Northern Ireland over the last three years and everything else. And, and I, I think what's happening in the north is an absolute disgrace. Sinn Féin right there and have been negative, negative, negative. Like, you know, like the sooner we get the assembly back up and running, the sooner that the people in Northern Ireland have a voice. Uh, I've, I've got families, I've got friends in Northern Ireland and the UK. And as I said to you, it's very, very disappointing that, you, that the UK you, is going Do you to think the DUP is being positive, positive, positive? No, it's what the DUP... The DUP have got their own uh, people supporting them in the yeah, north. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of negativity yeah. across but the board. All, all, all yeah, I'm trying yeah. to say at the moment, it's mm. a pity, mm. it's a pity it's got where we are at the moment. Is, and as I said to you, is, we have to get clarity. If, if it goes for an extension on mm. January or February, you know, are we getting any further on? People are actually fed up. People want to, people want clarity. People mm. want to know what's happening. As I said, yeah, I, okay. I, I think we need to get we need to get a sorted ASAP. The big announcement, if there was a, a big announcement uh, for people listening to us, was the carbon tax. Uh, Peter Fitzpatrick said he thinks it's fair. Do you think it's fair, Thomas Byrne? Uh, well, I think it's fair insofar as it goes. Uh, what the Taoiseach wanted initially was that the carbon tax would be collected and then mm. posted out to everybody yeah. back to as is the case in Canada and Switzerland in, yeah. in British Columbia I think yeah and Switzerland and we, mm. we didn't agree with that at all we thought mm. that that would create just an administrative structure uh, that would waste an awful lot more money and yesterday we saw the Taoiseach on the telly in a U-turn obviously because mm. we had just we actually decided this the Fianna Fáil front bench some weeks ago that if it was coming in uh, that it would be modest and there would be high pot it would be ring fenced and what is it ring fenced for it's ring fenced for fuel allowance it's ring fenced for the board pneumonia workers for example in the Midlands who are going to lose their jobs because of uh, climate change and, 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 and people preservation uh, and a string fence for measures to improve people's homes and that's that's what needs to happen mm. um, so it's a tax it it's, is a tax, it's, yeah. it's not well, a measure to change behaviour. Well, it's it a should, tax. sorry, it should be. Like, that's, it's it, a way of raising no, no. money to fund these things. Yeah, that's but, a tax. But, but if, you, if, if you upgrade someone's home in terms of the insulation, which yes. is what we started years yes. ago in the warmer home scheme, yeah, that, then that cost them less yes, to but, heat their home. But the and that's, car- what we should, that's what we need to but do the as a mon- nation. The, the extra money you pay when you fill up your car is a tax. Yeah, but you know where it's going. You know that it's going to the fuel allowance for the most vulnerable It's going to the exchequer. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's to, not, to, to fund these things, which... Perhaps and they are, ring, they are ring fenced. They are okay, ring fenced. Okay, but it's still a and they tax. Were, by the it'll way, do nothing to change your behaviour as a motorist. It will not make you buy an electric car. It will not it make possibly you possibly will because I well, mean, if possibly, you can afford one, well, it will. Or if there is one available that suits your needs, it, it will not make you drive less. Uh, it's it's a pure. Uh, money raising measure. I wouldn't agree. I think I think the carbon tax actually has been pretty successful in British Columbia, um, where people have paid significantly more, but they know whether you know that the, it is actually changing. And they behavior. get a refund. They get a refund. Yeah. But what we what we felt everybody was, gets paid back. Yeah, yeah. Everybody but, pays. But that's and everybody no good. Gets paid but say back. somebody somebody who's upgraded but a house that, or who's bought an A-rated house doesn't need a refund from the carbon tax. What we need is but that, that the elderly but society. That means, but when you, you see to, when you get the money back, that means that you're not paying a tax. You're not giving money to the exchequer to fund these sort of things you can decide I can save money by changing no. my behaviour and that's the idea 
of the fee and dividend well, that you well, change your well, behaviour. Well, this is just a tax. It's simply a money raising. All measure. I can say is that Fine Gael wanted the fee and dividend. We had a good discussion at the party front bench, and we felt that there was so much work to do in terms of climate change in this country to upgrade people's homes that we felt the money had to be ring fenced for those actions. So when you're when you're going to lose your job because of uh, climate changes and preservation of bogs, there's going to be a fund there for you. Uh, the fuel allowance has to be temporary, obviously, because. You know that should be paid for by general taxation. Mm. Uh, it's there now because of that. But really, what you want is to upgrade old people's and poor people's homes to make sure that they're actually paying less and therefore using less carbon. So it'll cost them less to heat their homes. That's what we want. The scheme we brought in, when the carbon tax was brought in originally by Fianna Fáil uh, and the Greens, uh, it was ring fenced for those types of projects. Mm. That stopped, and we've insisted that it be ring fenced now. So it's going to be spent. And what we want to see now is that the year-long waits that people have for the warmer home scheme uh, be reduced dramatically. That has to happen because th- that, that's the whole point mm-hmm. of the carbon tax is that it would change behaviour. Uh, heat, heat homes uh, with less carbon uh, and, car- and, 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 and eventually it will, people will say, mm. well, look, maybe I am better off buying an electric car with the price of diesel. Mm. If they can afford one or if they can afford to second-hand retrofit their homes or if there's well, a grant available that's to them. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, those on fuel allowance can't afford mm. to retrofit their homes. That's why there's a warmer home scheme there yeah. that we brought in. And those on low income who aren't on fuel allowance are really in trouble. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge difficulty. Mm. I mean, I have a case mm. myself of a family mm. where there's two 70 odd year olds and somebody on illness benefit in the home and they don't qualify because the person on illness benefit mm. is living there. Um, so there the, the definitely are issues with that and mm. we'll be taking them up. Yeah, and 15 euro, 16 euro uh, uh, on a fill of oil, Peter Fitzpatrick, is a, a lot of money, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's a lot of money, Michael, but uh, uh, the government has uh, delayed that till uh, May 2020. Michael, let, let's go back there, Michael. We're what, 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 what talking there about... Uh, about money and everything else. Over the last four years, this government has spent, has, has supposedly spent 6.6 billion on housing, right? Mm. And I'm saying to myself, where is this money going to? They made another announcement yesterday of 2.5 billion. Mm. Is that part of the 6.6 billion? That's they're, they're talking about spending 1.1 billion on social housing. I'm saying to myself, what's going on here at the moment is, uh, a, a family in Dublin trying to buy a house in Dublin has to have at least Wages coming in at ninety four thousand to buy the mm. cheapest house in Dublin. Like there's something seriously wrong. The twenty nineteen uh, eighty thousand apparently yeah. to buy affordable homes. Like, you, you look at it there, mm. Michael. Is there like the twenty nineteen budget with all to do with housing? I, I'm very very worried. My biggest concern, Michael, and from day one as it becoming a TD, I always said your health is your wealth of life. Okay. We, we we've increased now the, the health budget by up by a billion to seventeen point four. I'm convinced we've the wrong man looking after the health. Because for the simple reason is our waiting lists are getting bigger. Or the, 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 the whole health system, if you look per, per, per head per population in the world, is we've probably one of the biggest in the world. And like, my consistency office at the moment is, is every day that we coming in uh, complaining about uh, looking look for home help, looking for nursing homes, waiting lists. It's an, it's an absolutely a nothing disaster. Okay. I, he, mm-hmm. he made a comment in the, local, in, in, in the national Just newspaper last weekend about uh, autistic children. He was saying that there's, there's forces out there at the moment is, and there's, he's saying there's no such thing as, as a cure for uh, people with autistic. Autistic children, it's, it's got very, very... People are getting diagnosed now and, 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 mm-hmm. better, and okay. they're, going, they're going over to Poland, they're going to different parts of the country trying to Look after the children, and he's coming out and saying, uh, "Oh, we can't do it. You don't do this. You're being, you're being conned." But if we got occupational therapists, if we got psychiatrists, we need these people. Okay. He's talking about maybe getting an extra a thousand people instead of talking. And sp- one thing Simon Howes can do, he can definitely talk. Okay, I'm just saying, people need <laughs> you're action. not bad yourself, Peter. This morning, anyway, we we have to leave it there. We've actually run over time, uh, but thank you both for coming into us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick, and uh, Thomas Byrne, Finnafall TD for me. At least.
Peter Cavanagh, Head of Communications and Public Affairs with Active Retirement Ireland, uh, joins us now. Good morning, Peter. Thanks uh, for your time. Uh, we uh, hear that there's uh, to be an increase in the living alone allowance, uh, an increase in uh, the fuel allowance, and more people over 70 will be entitled to, to medical cards. But we're hearing from people, pensioners uh, this morning, who are very disappointed by the budget yesterday. What are you hearing? Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, we have to acknowledge the fact that the living loan allowance has been left out of the last two or three budgets. So it is important that that's increased because anybody who does live alone, they'll know that, you know, just because you're, uh, you've been bereaved, you've been widowed, your income gets cut in half, but your expenses don't. And it costs the same to eat a house uh, for two people as it does for one. And by and large, it costs the same to feed two people as it does one. So to increase the living loan allowance, it's, it's a small measure, but it's welcome. But outside of that, there isn't much in this budget for older people. There isn't much in this budget for vulnerable older people in particular. Um, certainly more over 70s will be entitled to a medical card and we, uh, we're we told that prescription charges will come down. These are all small measures, but at the end of the day, we're being told as well that a no-deal Brexit is looking likely, but that's going to raise the cost of everyday household goods, and yet there's no increase in the pension to deal with that. So while there's €1.2 billion Euros in this budget set aside for dealing with Brexit, mm. that'll get people into employment, that'll help border communities, it'll help businesses, it'll help um, people in the tourism industry, it'll help people in enterprise. It will do nothing for people who have no potential future income. They have no potential to go back to work. They have to make do with the pension that they're on. And they're being told, what you're on is what you're on. Mm. The cost of cornflakes is going to go up, the cost of bread and milk is going to go up, but you're just going to have to spend more of your pension on everyday items. Is, is that fair criticism, though, Peter? Is it fair criticism, given that this government has increased the pension by €15 Euro over the last three years? Well, the pension's gone up by 15 euros simply to get us back to 2008 levels because in 2008, when the austerity budget started, older people lost 15 euros per week in ancillary benefits. That's through the household benefits package, through the shortening of the winter fuel allowance. Now, we understand that the winter fuel allowance has gone up by 2 euros, but it's still six weeks shorter than it used to be, and this government has not been able to shorten the cold winters, as we saw last year. Mm. Um, So, like, we're now getting back to parity with 2008. And you ask anybody who goes shopping, anybody who buys everyday household goods, everything's a lot more expensive than it was in 2008. We're still asking older people to survive on more or less the same income. And fuel is to be more expensive, of course, because of the carbon tax. Yeah, now, like, carbon tax, we understand that as part of a broad suite of measures to deal with climate change, a carbon tax, it's already there, and it needs to be increased. But the problem we have is that it's only the new income from carbon tax that's going to be ring-fenced to help people. That's a small amount of money. Like, the people who are most affected by this carbon tax, which I saw described brilliantly yesterday as... um, just big enough to annoy people, but too small to actually make a difference. Um, the, the, the people most affected by this carbon tax are going to be the people who can't afford to retrofit their homes, who can't afford to put outer, outside in, insulation on, who can't afford heat pump systems in their houses. And the fact of the matter is there isn't going to be enough money coming in from this newer, increased carbon tax to help older people who are in that situation to retrofit their homes. So it's unfortunate that it's a very regressive version of carbon tax. Older people don't want to be seen as the opponents of climate action, but this kind of regressive climate measure doesn't do enough to help the environment, and it does affect the most vulnerable. So it's not a very uh, mm. not a very enthusing part of the budget for older people. Okay, what about the Christmas bonus? Does that soften it at all? 
Oh, listen, good to retain that, absolutely. The Christmas bonus is something that people have relied on as part of their income. When it was cut away, it was 2% of people's income being taken away because it's a full week's payment. So to see that come back, absolutely welcome. You know, to see it maintained there at the 100% rate, uh, obviously that's important. And, and it'll mean that at least Christmas time this year won't be as, 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 as big a burden on the poorer pensioners. OK, Peter, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Peter Cavanagh, Head of Communications and Public Affairs with Active Retirement Ireland. Now, let's uh, return uh, to Minister Pascal Donoghue. He was interviewed by BBC this morning about the budget and indeed about Brexit. Is there a difference between the two? Is it a Brexit budget? Is it a Boris budget? Uh, as was put to him on the BBC this morning. And Pascal Donoghue was asked by Nick Robinson on BBC Radio 4 about how the budget was framed and because of the way it was prepared, does it show that the Irish government is actually flexible on Brexit? Uh, So for those who would look at my economic analysis and think that is cause uh, for us moving beyond where we are, uh, I would emphasise to them uh, that in the evaluation I offered of our economy in a no-deal Brexit, it is also, as I made clear, a challenge that is of a very considerable and lower magnitude than the kind of things that Ireland has worked its way through over the last decade. For those who would make charges regarding what we are going to do diplomatically, we have now been crystal clear for three years regarding what our objectives are. And I have to say, from the engagement that I have directly with the British government, including, for example, your Chancellor of the Exchequer, he is tenacious and crystal clear in what he is looking for on behalf of the British government. But he and I think the British government also have an understanding of the challenges that we have. Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, speaking on BBC Radio 4 today. And as you know, the budget was framed in the shadow of Brexit, to quote the Minister from his speech yesterday. And when it comes to Brexit, I suppose it's true to say that the UK has its wants and needs and the Republic of Ireland has its wants and needs. Can the two meet or are they too far apart? This is a point that was put to Pascal Donoghue on BBC Radio 4 by presenter Nick Robinson. Let's try and avoid the jargon because you know that even the talk of backstops and customs unions and all the rest of it gets very complicated. Let me try and see if I can simplify it and see if you can simplify it. Is the Irish government saying to Boris Johnson's government, there can't be customs checks anywhere in Ireland? Doesn't matter whether it's on the border, near the border, near the sea, there can't be anywhere. Because if that's right, let me tell you what Downing Street will say back to you. They will say that in effect... You are trying to trap Northern Ireland in a relationship close to the EU and force Northern Ireland to separate itself from the UK. So let's separate that and uh, I'll take up your rejoinder of looking to uh, avoid jargon so early in the morning. Uh, Firstly, in terms of the charge that the Irish government is looking to trap anybody in any kind of arrangement, that is absolutely not the case. Uh, We, of course, utterly respect the decision that the British people have made to leave the European Union as a country that has much experience of referenda ourselves. Of course we appreciate and respect that. What we are not therefore looking to do is trap anybody in any kind of a arrangement in the future. The so-called backstop was always an insurance policy, but equally, yes, you are correct to say that we do not want to see the return 
of customs checks and tariffs on our island. Anywhere, just to be clear, it's not where they are, you don't want them at all. Well, I was saying Ireland. Uh, And the reason for that goes beyond economics. It goes beyond trade. It goes back to the kind of experience my country and I have gone through in my own lifetime, where I have seen those kind of things and the erosion of the all-island economy becoming a catalyst to the kind of political challenges in our island and in Ireland that I don't want to see return. What then? That's uh, the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, speaking to BBC Radio 4 today. The Michael Reed Show. Father Peter McVerry, as you know, is a Jesuit priest who works uh, with the homeless and has done so for many years. He's on the line with us. And a very good morning, Peter, and thanks for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Was there anything yeah, in... The, uh, always good to have you on the programme. Was there anything in the budget announcements uh, yesterday that would make you think that there will be an improvement in terms of housing and homelessness? Uh, one of uh, the things announced was €20 million euro extra for homelessness services. Do you see that as at last half full or half empty? I see that as an admission that the government expects homelessness to continue to increase in 2020 and that's an admission of failure. Uh, I mean the 20 million is very welcome, it's very needed uh, and it will uh, make a difference it will provide uh, uh, some sort of emergency accommodation for homeless people but it is uh, it's an admission of failure, to be honest. They should be cutting that budget, should shouldn't they, really? Homeless yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. services. The other thing that struck me was the, an, an increase of £80 million to pay the housing assistance payment for renting from private landlords. Mm. Again, that's, that's, I have real problems with that. Uh, it's it's a, the, Using the private rented sector to provide social housing, to my mind... Uh, has been a terrible failure. We are spending at the moment uh, 2 million euros per day in subsidies to private landlords to provide uh, accommodation for low-income families and we're now going to add an extra 80 million to that. We should be be providing social housing, council housing on a massive scale. It's the only way Mm. we're going to address this homeless and housing crisis. Uh, and I'm disappointed to see that the government uh, uh, are not doing not they're doing it, but they're not doing it on the scale that is necessary and continuing to prop up private landlords with massive amounts mm. of money, to my mind, has been a failed policy and will continue to be uh, a, failed, a failed policy. So uh, effectively the government uh, announced yesterday it would make another 80 million, an additional 80 million available to landlords through the HAP scheme next year and it would spend 20 million more next year than it did last year on providing services to people who become homeless, uh, meaning uh, that more people will be renting and more people will become homeless. Uh, but how do you weigh that a- against the 11,000 new social homes that they promise next year? Well, now you have to, anything the government, anything the Department of Housing says, you have to analyse it very, very carefully. The, the, uh, sorry, just, we, the, those figures include uh, buying homes from the private sector. That does not. It includes leasing homes from the private sector. It includes the voids where somebody dies in a council house and in three months' time they turn it around and they put somebody else in. 
that does not add one single extra social housing unit to the stock of social housing. What is what is really of a, of of importance is the number of new social housing units uh, that are being provided. In 2017, the total number of new social housing units was uh, was approximately 2,000. In 2018, the number of new social housing units was approximately 4,000. So that's 6,000 in two years. The government have committed to building 33,000, to building 33,500 new social houses by 2021. And going on the figures for last year and the year before, that means they would need to build 9,000 council houses for the, each year for the next three years. There's no sign of that happening at all. Okay. I think the government have redefined the meaning of social housing. They include, as social housing, they include people who rent uh, from the private rented sector mm. using the housing assistance payment. Uh, so they, they, have, they have manipulated. For me, social housing means housing owned and controlled by the government. By and the is, it, 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 is it that every time the government gives money to landlords uh, that they have to police how that money is being spent because they're spending an additional €80 million Euro next year to pay for people renting from private landlords and then they're spending €2 million uh, on the Residential Tenancies Board, uh, which will right. police yeah. how that is. Yeah. is. Is it for every €40 million that you spend on rent that you have to spend a million policing it to see that they meet the standards and regulations? Well, certainly the policing of is, is very inadequate at the moment. Uh, you know, we have a 4% rent cap at the moment in, in many areas, urban areas. But the average rent increase last year in in urban areas was 9%, which means that the rent cap is being widely uh, ignored. Uh, So you do need to police it. You also need much, some of that accommodation is extremely substandard. And again, that needs to be be policed. But the, the Private Residential Tenancies Board doesn't have the resources to do that policing. They depend on complaints being brought to them. So if the landlord says, I'm increasing the rent by 10%, private residential tenancies board doesn't know about it unless the tenant complains. And of course, most tenants won't complain because then they fear they'll be evicted Mm. and become homeless. So, and many tenants living in poor quality private rented accommodation won't complain. Again, for the same reason, they're afraid the landlord will kick them out. So, uh, policing the private rented sector is a, is, a, is a major headache and many some local authorities don't police it at all okay, but absolutely no inspections whatsoever and in those local authorities who do inspect the vast majority uh, of private rented accommodation that's inspected fail to meet basic standards. Okay we have a housing crisis obviously but uh, we have this other crisis uh, Brexit which uh, the Minister said overshadowed everything uh, in terms of framing uh, the budget uh, and what was uh, announced yesterday, would it have been unfair to have any expectation of any great uh, initiative from uh, the government to, to tackle the housing crisis? Hey, I don't know what they could do, really. Uh, the uh, the Brexit is so uncertain. It looks likely that it's going to be delayed for uh, by three months, uh, but nobody knows. 
And uh, even if it is delayed, what's going to happen in three months' time? Nobody knows. It depends on, uh, there will be an election in Britain. It depends on the results of that election. So I think we're all sort of punching around in the dark, Mm. (laughs) trying to hit targets uh, that we can't see. So... uh, I think the, uh, the 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 government really are in a bind, and I don't know what what exactly they can do to plan. They're certainly planning on 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 building houses. They're planning on buying houses. But if Brexit comes in and we have a cat- catastrophic uh, uh, reduction in economic mm-hmm. growth, mm-hmm. Uh, those plans are possibly going to go out the window. All right, uh, we leave it on that note. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Father Peter McVerry, Jesuit priest who works with the homeless, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.